0: Hello, good afternoon. So today is the middle of the second day of retreat. Maybe our minds are starting to kind of calm down a little bit, maybe, yeah, no, not quite, a little bit, tiny bit, a little bit, yeah, okay, that's cool. And also sometimes teachers like to call the second day maximum duca day. <laughs> In case that has been your experience, it's, it's perfectly fine and okay. Because uh it feels like, you know, the mind starts to calm a little bit, so the mind starts to become a little more observant of what is happening. But in some ways, what is happening, like the, all the thoughts and the shenanigans of the mind are kind of going on, but they look kind of big, like, whoa, whoa, it can seem overwhelming. So if that was your experience, right on time, right on time, it's just part of the unfolding of experience. Right on time. It's actually it's it's a uh, uh, an expression that uh, one of my mentors, Gil Fransdel, likes to use and teach. Right on time. Right on time. It's right on time. Whatever happens, just. Sloth and happens, L- right on time. Anxiety happens, right on time. Panic happens, oh, right on time. This was exactly what was supposed to happen given all the cause and conditions. Right on time, right on time. This too, I can sit with this too. Can I sit with this too? Ah, ah. Expanding that capacity for being with what is. For being with what is. And it's not so much about what comes up for us on retreat or even in daily life. It's about how we relate to it and and how we are with it. A lot of difficult things can come up. and, and, And freedom doesn't mean that we'll be sitting on top of a cloud and nothing ever happens. It's always completely blissful. That's not supposed to be the experience. It's just that fewer things will come up. And then when they do come up, the mind relates to them with ease. Pain and ache will still come up. Difficulties still come up. Um, Conflict would still come up. Difficulties, just the way we relate to them. That is an aspect of freedom. So, basically... What we're doing here and what we're talking about, what we're teaching, what we're practicing, it's all about freedom. It's all about liberation. That's all we're doing. It's all about liberation. We may not call it Nibbana, but that's exactly what we're talking about. All these teachings, it's all about Nibbana. It's all about freedom. You know, enlightenment kind of sounds like, ta-da, Christmas tree lighting up. And so that's why we don't talk about it. So in that way, at least I choose not to, um, but it's really freedom, awakening little by little by little every moment and the way we relate to all these human things that come up in our experience. And that relates to the title that we've chosen for this retreat. This, what we've called, what we've called, examining reality. You know, it sounds kind of heady, high and mighty, oh, reality. But you know, it's really, it's not something out there and separate from your experience. It's really examining our experience internally and externally piece by piece, piece by piece, methodically. And as uh, Sayadaw Jagar talked about yesterday, the reality is not a phenomena that's independent of the mind that relates to it or creates it. I love this quote by Werner Heisenberg, the well-known physicist, Whose the Heisenberg Principle is named after, for those who are familiar with that. So he says, What we observe is not nature in itself, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. I repeat that. What we observe is not nature in itself, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. So, a couple of things about that, so it's not independent. This reality that we're talking about and examining is not really independent of our phenomenological experience of it, the first person experience of how we are experienced our body, our mind, everything that is happening and I'll say more about that in a little bit as as an invitation, as I will give invitations later in the talk as to how to go about this investigation on this retreat. Another thing that this points to is that um, the universal and the personal are not separate. They are not separate. So, we wake up to the universality of things as they are, things as they are, this universal way of how reality is through the personal, through experiencing the personal, through becoming curious personally, about what is happening in our experience moment to moment. And that experience might be sadness, That experience might be back pain, which is like, oh, back pain. I can't examine reality because I have back pain. Guess what? That is what is going to open you up. That personal, that back pain, is the doorway to the universal. It's not a hindrance, it's not a problem. It's exactly the doorway through to the universal, through the personal. What is happening in this body right now? How does it feel? How am I experiencing it? Et cetera. Again, I'll say more about that in detail, but just to to point to that. So it's really through practice, the practice unfolds through your personal experience whether it is in your body, whether it's sadness, whether it's an emotion, whether it's seeing this pattern of judgment coming up over and over, whatever it is, it's through that, it's through that really personal experience in this body and mind that we open up to universality of ah, impermanence. That's how things are. We're not self, which I'll talk about more or unsatisfactoriness, really. It's these truths are not out there to be discovered. They're, they're explored through just whatever intimate, pesky experience is, present, is presenting itself to you. Okay. So that's a way of saying that don't feel like you should be doing some hypothetical practice of examining reality out there really step-by-step of, as we'll we'll unfold this week, we're just getting started, by the way. We're just getting warmed up. We consider the first couple of days settling days. It's gonna get juicy. I mean, it's already probably getting juicy, but it's really, the mind needs to have some, some stability to open up, right? So, so don't think that you need to be doing some hypothetical practice out there. Really, whatever has been coming up yesterday and today in your experience, sleepiness, remorse, whatever it is, staying with that. What does it feel like? What's happening? Basically, whatever visits your mind and body during this, pra- during this week, your, is your personal grist for the mill of examining reality. It's really through that. And I want to make that very, very clear. Whatever presents itself to you, that is going to be the doorway to examine. And again, I'll say more in detail about it, about that examination. (laughs) So, I meant, mentioned patience, being patient. So, what are we doing? What are we doing right now? What are we doing here? So, as I mentioned the opening night, the first couple of days of retreat, we're basically settling in and we're doing a gentle um, samatha practice. And samatha practice, again often translated as concentration practice but for many reasons that's not a good translation because it brings up this idea you have to concentrate and you have to work hard and right away the brow starts to get tense whereas a better translation of that is the mind getting unified the mind getting unified the mind getting calm so unifying the mind calming the mind and that works best with consistent, gentle, balanced effort. So there is effort, but it's definitely gentle. Excuse me for a moment. And the effort is, and the effort is gentle. And the effort is both balanced and gentle. Um, and there is effort, there is energy. It's actually the word energy is better translation for it. Virya, virya, energy. Yeah, as I think about it, actually effort has that uh, uh, tightness about it, whereas energy doesn't. Do you realize different words in the English language conjure up different different feelings. So if you just drop in the word, let's try this together for a moment, drop in the word energy. If you're just breathing right now, just bringing in energy, what would that feel like for you? Bringing a little more energy, what would you do? You probably maybe breathe a little more intentionally for a moment, just Maybe straighten your posture a little bit, bring in more energy. Kind of brings a little bit of brightness to the mind, doesn't it? Okay, all right, let that go. All right, now try drop in effort. Now effort a little bit, will you? How does that feel? Couple words if you wanna share. Running uphill. Yeah, running uphill. Oh, it's like Sisyphus. Oh, pushing that boulder uphill. Thank you. Your stomach is tight. Great to observe that. Awesome, that's great to see. Yeah, it didn't happen with energy, did it? No, it didn't. Good, great. Any other impressions? Heat. Heat came in with effort, oh, like friction almost. When you say heat, I almost think of, you know, the physical aspect of like, oh, this hard work. Yeah, hard work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see that difference? You see that, yeah? So energy, virya. So bringing balanced, sustained energy to the practice, to bring the attention back to the object, to calm and settle the mind. So so as a part of this what we're doing first couple of days settling practicing unifying the mind and then we will open up more to to invitations specific invitations for you to examine what is coming up in in your experience in your body in your mind okay so that is coming up be patient feature uh Feature attractions coming up, and in the meanwhile um I also want to bring up uh, um something that uh that uh talked about last night um uh, yesterday afternoon, which was lovely. I want to bring that in, and again, as a part of practicing and on un- this unfolding this gradual training is part of this gradual training gradual training that's a good good phrase to keep in mind it's a gradual training he brought in the concept of sila and practice with with volition and intention so so when he was teaching that, by the way, yesterday I was sitting here and closing my eyes, and I thought, "Wow, this is pure gold!" I was just de- delighting. Whenever I sit with him, I I learn so much. It just he has so much experience. If I want to, if I may go off on personally, for, personally for for a little bit, you know, with having been a monk for over thirty five years and and studying the suttas, and dedicating himself and and practicing um, every day, it's just he knows so, so much. And it just comes up. <laughs> so so I just love sitting with him because he just teaches, he shares these things and the way he... You know, and, and I also love, you know, with his French Canadian accent sometimes, it's kind of like, what does he mean? And you kind of like, you're, you're hanging out there with him for a moment. And then he like gets to it and it's like, Oh my goodness. And he, he, just, he it's like, it touches from the heart, from this deep place of experience. And, and it's like, Oh, that's it. That's a beautiful nugget. Um, so the way we often teach together, we've taught together in the past, is, um, is you know, I, I sit, I, I listen to him give a discourse, and just these things that I haven't heard about. For example, one thing he showed yesterday I'll talk more about is these four different aspects of sila. Um, which is, virtue, uh, r- virtue from the Visuddhimagga, from the path of purification, which is like this thousand page manual instruction. And it's kind of deep buried in there. So he taught, the, he taught that yesterday. I'd never heard about it. It's like, that's beautiful. So I want to expand on that. So, so I hear these, these teachings from pure gold and then, I kind of expand on that and translate that in a way uh, to to lay language, if I may say that, and so um, so you'll get a little bit of that today, as as it came up during the the group meetings today. So, um, I'll bring that out a little bit. So, and also another thing to say, um, you'll hear me refer to him as Bante sometimes, and sometimes as Sayadaw Ujanga, and people have said, "What's Bante? What's Sayadaw like?" Kind of explain the terms a little bit. So, so the term "sayada" in Burmese uh, is for um, a a teach for someone who's a monk and is a uh, is a respected teacher. Someone who has a certain level of experience um, and. And with Sayadaw having been a monk for 30, more than 35 years, uh, that's, you know, he referred to him as Sayadaw, like respected great teacher, basically. And Sayadaw, U, U in Burmese means mister, sir, basically. And Jagara is his, uh, monastic name. So Sayadaw Jagara. And then Bhante, um, also in Burmese, um, is vener- is basically venerable sir referred to monks? So any monk you can refer to them as bante or sir, basically sir. Um, so that's kind of a more generic term, uh, bante. A-, a monk could be referred to as ban- bante. So that's what's happening. The, uh, yogi's have asked me before, what are these words? So, so um, hope I didn't embarrass you too much, bante. Sorry. oh Bhante is Pali, oh you're right I'm so sorry, thank you, thanks for correcting me Bhante is Pali, Sayada is Burmese Bhante is Pali, yes thank you so so I want to touch in uh, and bring the teachings on Sila yesterday um, that Bhante shared from the Visuddhi Magha Path of Purification and and I also want to say why that is significant right now in the in this part of our practice, one is that, um, sila, um, virtue, um, precepts basically. It relates to the first night as we came in and we kind of took the precepts together. Um, so, so the, the, the virtual conduct, which is an intention of of non-harming, of non-harming ourselves, non-harming each other in this context of really practicing together and in community and um, and, and kind of protecting each other, non-harming each other. And it also relates to settling the mind. It relates to settling the mind. Because when... When we have an intention, when there is a desire for our conduct um, to be of a certain quality, of of quality of non-harming, different versions, different aspects of non-harming come through the five precepts, non-killing, non-stealing, etc. Then the mind is more settled. The mind is not agitated uh, with thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have... The mind becomes more settled when there is that intention for conduct to be non-harming. And that's part of the Buddhist teaching, that virtue leads to calming of the mind, leads to the bliss of blamelessness, the bliss of blamelessness, which is such a beautiful teaching, the bliss of blamelessness. When you put your head down at night, Um, when you go to sleep, the mind doesn't think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, oh, I shouldn't have taken that, oh, I shouldn't have killed that insect. Just the mind is calm, there's not that agitation. That's one aspect of it, okay? The other aspect is what uh, Bhante shared with the Chaitana Sutta. Um, Chaitana Sutta, which is, uh, Chaitana is translated as volition or will, act of will. So Chaitana Sutta is often translated as an act of will sutta. And in that sutta, it's a beautiful sutta. It's one of my favorites. I was I was loving the fact that he was teaching it yesterday. It basically talks about this natural, gradual cultivation that starts from it starts from virtue and it leads to freedom, liberation, starts in a virtue, ends in liberation, freedom, nibbana, whatever word you want to use. Like, whoa. And it's chain by chain, it's like step by step by step by step. And also what's beautiful about that sutta is that it talks about there isn't there No act of will is needed when somebody is. I'll I'll read the first part. For a person endowed with virtue, consummate in virtue, there is no need for an act of will. May freedom from remorse arise in me. It is in the nature of things that freedom from remorse arises in a person endowed, endowed with virtue, consummate in virtue. So basically what it's saying is that there is no need for an actor will say okay all right may may freedom from remorse arise in me uh the, the sutta says no need it just naturally happens the same way that water and gravity the water will naturally f- flow down it's just that's that's it's nature it's naturally flows down that's what's going to happen for someone who has virtue um, naturally? What is going to arise is freedom from remorse, and then it continues. From someone free from remorse, it's natural for joy to arise, and isn't that lovely? So, and and by the way, this even though it's beautiful and lovely as poetry, but it's actually how practice unfolds. It's, it points to the suttas are practice instructions, and this took me a while to realize in my practice. I mean, they sounded lovely, and the teachers would read them. And somewhere else, oh wait, no, these are instructions. The Buddha is saying, yeah, this is how you do it. The, pay attention. This is how you do it, and this is how it's going to happen. So then, sila, and I'll talk. I'll come back to the Visuddhimagga. I haven't forgotten it. I'll come back to it. It, it then, then joy then gives rise to rapture, gives rise to pity, gives, gives rise to a lot of joy. And then that gives rise to, uh, rapture gives rise to serenity. And then serenity gives rise to experience the body experiencing pleasure. So, another thing that's by the way beautiful about the Sutta is like, "Wow, the mind text you know you think virtue I need to be virtuous, but it actually leads to all these lovely states of joy and rapture and and pleasure um etc, etc, leading to liberation, and I'll talk more about it but so, coming back, so let's come back to virtue and and what's interesting about virtue, and then coming back to, to basically Sila, um, using the, the poly word, which by the way reminds me of something else today, another footnote I would like to interject. So in one of the groups today, people requested these lists of Pali words that we share in, uh, um in the talks so the agreement that we came up in that group i want to share with all of you is that if there is any word that you don't know uh, leave one of us a note and put it on the board we'll put that poly word then on you know we'll put it on the board with its best translation so that everyone can know otherwise we kind of throw them out we don't know who knows them who doesn't know them so that's our agreement does that work Okay, so you asked for it we'll put it up okay great so come coming back to Sila so so what bonte shared yesterday, these four different aspects of sila one one is the rules one is the precepts you know of refraining from um, from killing, refraining from uh, taking what has not been offered the second precept um, refraining from using, misusing our sexual energy in a way that it causes harm in the world. The fourth one, refraining from using speech in a way that is harsh and harmful, um, and causes, causes harm in the world, which on the retreat, by the way, it becomes a noble silence. So on the retreat, that becomes noble silence. And the fifth one, refraining from clouding the mind, taking intoxicants, uh drugs that make our clarity, cloud the clarity of clear seeing to the point of heedlessness, to create heedlessness. So those are the five basic precepts. And what's interesting about them is that you can think of them, uh, for one thing, as the different versions of non-harming, just diff- different ways of saying, not not harm, don't harm this way, don't harm that way, and they're both internal and external. It's not just because when you take a life, it, it, it hurts you internally also. It's not just external. Something I learned recently, actually, from... Um, um, from Sylvia Borstein is this aspect of thinking of of uh the um, these precepts as a way of caring. It's it, they come out of love. I care for you, I care for myself, I care. Therefore I'm not going to harm you. I care, I care. And in fact the the way she was talking about it is quite beautiful. I share it. Um she um Married uh, two people about a decade ago, and as a part of their wedding vows, they took the precepts, and the way they took them the precepts was because I love you, I won't hurt you, I won't uh, because I love you, I won't take anything from you that you don't give me freely because I love you. I'll respect our sexuality because I love you. I won't lie to you. I'll be truthful because I love you. Um, I I won't um, intoxicate myself so I can stay clear with you. So it comes from love. Isn't that beautiful? And apparently the couple they say their vows to each other in this form every morning, which is quite inspiring. Quite inspiring. So away to see the precepts coming out of love, because I love me. I'm not going to cloud my mind, because I love me. I'm not going to take something that doesn't belong to me, because I know it's going to agitate me and won't lead to calm and joy and all these other things, because I love me, because I love you, because I care, because I love. So that's another way to see, to really relate through these quote-unquote rules, right? It's it changes our perspective, right? Another another aspect of it also, as um, as uh, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about, um, is really both the internal and the external dimension of of sila so so there is this external dimension which are the rules and it's like the scaffold so so we set ourselves up with these scaffolds and then as we give ourselves to these rules something internally changes something internally changes in us the sense of integrity, the sense of integrity that we have will become strengthened. We shift, we change because we're giving ourselves to these rules. And for us, lay people, you know, just five, um, we offered eight at the beginning. And then for monastics, how many hundreds of rules are there, Bante? 227 for the monks and for the nuns, maybe 300. 227 for the monks and how many for the nuns? Three hundred and eleven for the nuns. Thank you, Sele. So, so, in the monastic life, as, as you give yourself to these rules, the, the internal shift specially happens. And that's why when we sit with monastics, when we are in the presence of monastics, we feel the difference. There's something about them that I feel that shines. It's just it shifted. Something changes in them. Um, and it doesn't matter what they teach, or, I mean, the teachings are wonderful too, but just being in their presence, something shines through that is invaluable. It, it, it affects us in a way that's that not palpable. So the internal and the external dimensions of these rules. And then, as Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about it, the external supports the internal, and then the internal supports the external. It becomes a virtuous cycle. So, back to the Visuddhimagga Magga list, the first one being the rules, the precepts themselves. Then, then, then there is, uh, the second one was guarding the senses, guarding the senses. And again, taking that on as a practice, not to it's not a practice um, like guarding the senses. It's, it's it's supposed, it's a relinquishment that comes from the heart. It's a relinquishment. Um, knowing that, you know, all your senses, all your sense doors, for example, if you are on your retreat, you know that, okay, if you, if you look up and you look around and you look at everyone, oh, you're going to see that person, you're going to see that person, and the mind starts to go off and make stories. So maybe it's actually best with, with all the love in your heart, to look at their socks only, you know, just to look down. It's guarding the senses. So you might have heard other teacher talk about guarding the senses and recommending on retreat to look down and not look up at people so much. It's not because we're unfriendly. It's just kind of knowing, okay, what might work best with, with all the love in our hearts for them and for ourselves. Similarly, especially nowadays, this was not an issue you know, a decade a couple of decades ago. But nowadays, guarding our senses with respect to technologies, both off retreat and specially on retreat. Uh, you know, we figured you're experienced practitioners, so we haven't talked too much about it, but please let go, relinquish your cell phones. Don't turn them on. Just don't cheat yourself out of your retreat experience. Uh, you're here to really dedicate yourself to your mind settling to what is here right now. You don't need more information about emails and texts and news of the world it, uh, and the weather. You'll figure what the weather is, you know, it's just you'll go to your room and change. Big deal, you know. So, so don't cheat yourself out of your retreat experience. Don't cheat yourself. Really. Um, I can tell you a personal story a few years ago. Um, I was sitting in a retreat in the East Coast Massachusetts and um and I actually had to be in contact um with family back home. <clears throat> so, you know, turned on my phone and I saw text messages I really wish I hadn't seen and it just completely took me for a loop, for a day or two, just the issue. And, and I could have just waited. The issue could have waited until I was off of retreat. And you know, I'm an experienced practitioner. I should know better. I th- yeah. Um, but just don't, don't do what, what I had to do. Just don't do it. It's, it, there is no profit. There's no benefit. You have to carve this time out of your life for this. Give yourself to it. Let it have its most benefit. So guarding your senses with wisdom. It really takes a lot of wisdom. And similarly with reading, on this, this type of retreat, we don't recommend people read. It's the same idea, to just really be with what is arising and the instructions that are given, to really simmer in them, give them their full, full potential. And if you find yourself having trouble, if you find yourself wanting to turn on your your cell phone. First of all, just give it to the managers. Just have them lock it up in the safe. There is a safe exactly for this purpose. They'll write your name on it and put it away. And if you're having trouble with that, with reading or, or whatever this, that the aspect of guarding your sense in this way, leave us a note. Come talk to us. Let us support you. Because this could be a main part of your practice. If you wake up at home and the first thing you do is you know check check your messages and hear like oh notice that urge notice that that addiction notice that dependency I I notice that it's it's so interesting that's usually the first thing I reach for it's like whoa 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 wait a minute let's just keep that calm of the mind in the morning the third aspect of sila that uh, Bhante talked about yesterday, which really was beautiful and completely lit me up. Um, this aspect of volition, intention, or chetana. So chetana, as I mentioned, Spelled out as C-E-T-A-N-A in Pali, the C is pronounced as a cha, Chaitana. It's often translated as intention, volition, um, act of will. And intention is is kind of a translation, but not it's not enough because Chaitana kind of has intention with some energy in it, which kind of becomes a volition. So so that aspect of sila um is is really checking with our intention when we do act is an intention of non-harming so so the first one was taking the rules right like kind of like taking on the precept um and then with this third one it's really about how you do things how you go about doing things. And I remember what Bhante said yesterday is the way you do things gives you joy. And I love that. I want to highlight that. The way you do things, the way with the, the intentionality, the non harming intentionality, that that non harming, that love that you put into doing things, that is what gives you joy, as laid out in the Chaitanya Sutta, right? Remember? The virtue led to uh, freedom from remorse, led to rapture, led to to joy, led to rapture, rapture, etc. So, so it's just that link. So let's sit with that for a moment. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? Just feel into that, the way you do things, the way you will go about and do things here and in your life. If you do them with intention of of non-harming, there's there's some energy in there, there's some brightness, it just kind of lights up a little bit. It almost it almost seems like being connected to this um to this other dimension of purpose, of other dimension of I don't know, grace. It just kind of makes acts more meaningful, more purposeful. And that is exactly the connection between chetana, volition, intention, and creation of karma. in, In these teachings, the two are linked and connected. And then the last one, the mental factors really is is expression of sila as non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, which actually, non-greed is generosity. Non-hatred is love, metta, goodwill, and non-delusion is wisdom. So again, it's taking on, on um, practice of virtue as a practice of generosity, as a practice of goodwill, as a practice of having wisdom, acceptance, whenever possible. So that's a completely different way of relating to the practice of sila, virtue, uh, which really brings it alive in these four dimensions that the Bhante shared yesterday, and I just e- expanded now, that I hadn't heard before. I think these are lovely. I hope that this is an offering for you, too. So I like to say a little bit, um, so, so actually before I move on to that, so as you're practicing, um, let that be the backdrop, let that be the backdrop of, of your intentional acts around, around here as you're moving around. And see how that shifts, how that changes things um, in your experience. So, I want to now lead and lead to um, some invitations, perhaps for investigation as the mind gets more settled so. So settling, settling with the breath, settling with the body, settling. So I want to go back to the quote from Heisenberg um, in terms of investigating reality. And uh, what we observe is not nature in itself, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. What we observe is not nature in itself, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. So, so I want to give a couple of examples to just really sit with that for a moment. One is that, so I have a couple of examples from the animal world in terms of sensory apparatus. So for us humans, reality really is how um, you know, it has to do with how we see it, given our five senses and the mind door. So in, in Buddhism, there are six, uh, doors, the, the five senses that we have. And then there is the mind door, where everything that we've experienced can be replayed on its own in the mind door. All the sounds and smells and tastes and, and, uh, um, and feelings and, and, uh, sites, images that we have seen. So, for example, um, because of a segmented eye structure, many insects see objects very differently from us humans, from the way we perceive them. So, insects um, are famous for their dot-like eyes, and it's actually called omatidia, and they have as as many as 30,000 lenses per eyeball. And the dragonfly, the dragonfly's insect, the uh, brain, uh, the insect's brain works so, um, the, the, uh, its brain works so rapidly that it perceives most movement in slow motion. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Imagine their reality. What if you had 30,000 eyes? What would our experience of our reality be? Or the pigeon is capable of detecting more subtle gradations of colors than the most advanced computer programs. Or the snake, heat vision. The snake has heat vision. Do we have heat vision, anyway? No. It's interesting, imagine what reality would look like if I'd, I had heat vision right now and I was looking out. What would, what would my experience of the world be, right? So really thinking about, it, considering that it's a first-person experience, this reality has to do with what, how we're examining it so, so, that's the way so so I bring that in um to point us to the first set of invitations for investigation, and actually starting with the body, starting with the preception, starting with the sensations of this body mm-hmm. so. One invitation, if you would like to take it, is when you are settled in the body, when, when, when your mind is settled, to, to examine, um, to simply examine and, and allow the examination of the sensations to arise, the feeling of the body to be examined in its raw sensations. So. You know, a Martian will have a different experience of what it's like to be in a body than a human does, right? So our experience of this body, what we consider ex- our physical experience is really made up of the sensation of heat, sensation of pressure, sensation of um just uh, the, the hardness, Roughness, heaviness, softness, smoothness, lightness, heat, coolness, pushing. So there are just all these sensations. So so, um, the first person experience... um, So instead of a solid body, as we start to pay attention, we realize, oh, the feeling of our bottom is really pressure and coolness and and heat, and tingling and hardness are really feeling that, really feeling the constituents of what this reality of having a body is, is really made up of all these experiences. So the way that can particularly be, um, and and by the way, I'm gonna pause for a moment just and let you know that um, tomorrow morning as I will um, do the guided meditation, I will invite you in that investigation. So I'll say more tomorrow morning and invite us to do that, but just kind of a pointer in that way to experience. And that is a way of of really um, pointing towards Seeing the experience of this body a little differently, because we usually take it to be so solid. Oh, I have pain. My, my back hurts and it's awful and make it go away. Right? That forms a whole lot of dukkha when we see our body as a whole as this is my body. It has pain and it's awful. Whereas when we start to see the experience of, Oh, pain. Okay. What is it made up? of let's let me feel the raw sensations well actually it's stabbing it's heat it's pulling um oh check that out it feels like a little uh, explosion in there oh feel that the raw sensations and then we see that that is different that is separate from the label that mind puts on it which is aversion which actually even before aversion is is unpleasant. Oh, these these are sensations. It's unpleasant aversion. I don't like it. Make it go away. So then pain breaks down to three different constituents. It's not just pain, this concept of pain. We're breaking the compactness of the concept. We're break, breaking the compactness of this concept of pain, seeing that it's just, it's made up of sensations, raw sensations, which have the label unpleasant, can be perceived as pleasant, uh, as unpleasant. And guess what? Sometimes the same sensations can be, same exact sensations can be perceived as pleasant. Or neutral. Does that make sense? It's, it's just a bunch of sensations. So, So sensations, unpleasant, and what the mind does with unpleasant usually is make it go away, I don't want this. Whereas another reaction of the mind could be, oh it's just unpleasant, it's just unpleasant. Yeah, it's just unpleasant, okay, it's unpleasant. Now what? So that's the way we start to see reality, quote unquote, our reality, oh, I have pain. We start to see our reality differently. It starts to shift. It's We're not taking what our mind just sees for granted. I mean, our mind, through evolution has been trained to see things a particular way. We start to open that up. We start to break that down. We start to go in and start to see, wait a minute, we don't have to take this for granted. Look at that. You know, the evolutionarily trained brain says, pain, go away, bad, suffer, take title. No. It's like, wait a minute. It's just sensation. Oh, the mind experiences unpleasant The same sensation. I've had experience, so I've had a lot of chronic pain. I have a chronic illness, and I've experienced a lot of pain. A lot of chronic pain. So I, I've worked with this. I'm not just preaching it. I've practiced this for, for years. And there have been many times um, that I've been with the sensations of what is considered pain, but it's just sensations and then staying with them this doesn't happen every time and it may not happen for you but sometimes what's pretty wild with the capacity of the mind is sensations wow it's like fireworks and the mind turns and actually can see it as pleasant it's the same sensation that a moment ago was perhaps driving my mind crazy and then it turns like Oh, look at that. It's interesting. Look at that. That's pretty wild. That usually doesn't happen in this way. It becomes pleasant because that label, Vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, that is illusory. That can change anytime. That's not fixed. And that can open our mind. And also, a lot of times, the experience of unpleasant, the mind can just hold it, be with the unpleasant instead of wanting to, ha- wanting to get rid of it and having aversion right away. So these are some of the ways, slowly, slowly, that we can open up to seeing what we take for granted as the reality of our physical experience, to be different, to be a little different, instead of believing it just the way it is. Let's just sit together. Just a minute.